Welcome into this edition of Tampa 2. Casey Phillips here with staff writer Bree Dix. And uh, not a win that we are talking about, but definitely a better no. version of the matchup against the 49ers than last year. Yes. <laughs> Todd Bowles has made it very clear we do not believe in moral victories. But here on this podcast, I do. I'm choosing to believe in some positive things we can take away from that right. game. Uh, you know, it's Thanksgiving week. We, we're always we're thinking right. about what we're yes. thankful for <laughs> in these games. That <laughs> no, is we are. my decision of how we're going to go about this today. Um, so for you, what are some of the, the big picture takeaways on? Mm -hmm. on each side of the ball. Well, it was a hard-fought battle, and I think one of the biggest things for me specifically was kind of the, the defensive lull that you saw in the third quarter. The 49ers had the two touchdowns, um, and then really just the offense move, was able to move down the field, were able to sustain drives, were able to get the big plays, but they weren't able to punch it in when it mattered most in the second half. And I think that's really one of the things that the coaches have really stressed this week is we've got to be able to punch it in. In some of these close games, the margin for error is very small. And when you work all the way down the field, you have these methodical drives, but then you're not able to get it in, that momentum just kind of shifts. And then obviously defensively, you know, the, the 49ers kind of started out, Christian McCaffrey was able to, you know, kind of balance a lot of those runs outside, and then they were able to exploit kind of the middle of the field, getting those guys crossing the face of the Bucks defenders um, with Debo Samuel, with Brandon Ayuk, you know, kind of some of those explosive plays that the Bucks were giving up, like the 76-yard touchdown. Um, so I think it's how they're able to kind of use this to build momentum moving forward against the Colts and, and how they're able to – to really kind of get more discipline, get that communication rolling, and be able to to really kind of hone in on some things in the red zone, really on both sides of the ball. Yeah, I think missed opportunities offensively is definitely yeah. the name of the game, but the good news is it meant there were opportunities, right? right. That they had chances, they had the opportunity to tie it up, to right. even maybe go ahead if, if a couple things go differently at the mm -hmm. end there, which is, um, I think, a big deal. But yeah, some turnovers, some drops, those self-inflicted yeah. wounds that we talked about, especially against a team like the 49ers who are so talented, you can't be beating yourself. Right. Um, and I do think that I'm sure that Baker would say, you know, he probably was trying to do a little bit too much in terms yeah. of that fumble where, yeah. yeah, it's first and five, live to fight another down right. kind of thing. But that's also the thing that we love about Baker, right? He extends plays mm -hmm. in that situation. It didn't work out. But so far this year on third downs and key situations, right. Have a high effort. Yeah. it has worked really well. Um, and of course, got to talk about Mike Evans as, yes. as we do every week. Uh, another <laughs> touchdown, another touchdown. Yes. Um, so he is now tied with Hall of Famer Don Maynard for 15th in NFL history mm. in terms of touchdowns, receiving touchdowns, I should say. Right. That is still just wild to me to think in the whole history of the NFL, there are only 14 people now with more receiving touchdowns than Mike. And we, wow. Bucks fans have gotten to watch all of them. And yeah. I just think that is a really special cool thing to keep in mind as he does this. Um, you know, there were only three possessions in the first half, which is challenging. It just means that, like, a lot of your guys are just not going to get as many touches. Yeah. Mike and Chris were not as involved as early as I'm sure the team would have liked. You know, mm -hmm. Chris didn't get a catch till the second yeah. half. Um, I, you know, I don't know if it's something where you just say you have to get it to them or if it is okay to say, hey, we, we just are going to take – what the defense gives us. Right. It's going to be interesting to see how they try to move forward with that. Um, I did love getting to see how many uh, young guys on both sides of the ball got mm -hmm. involved offensively. Uh, Rakim Jarrett, his 41-yard yes. catch. That was a huge play. And to trust mm -hmm. a guy like him, again, remember, undrafted free agent mm -hmm. who showed enough in a crowded wide receiver room to say, you need to put me on this team. And right. not just that, you need to put me on the field and you can trust me in a very key situation yeah. to make a big play. So I thought that was very cool. Um, 
Again, we saw Rashad in space. Good grief. Is is he good in space? (laughs) I had written in my notes before this play even happened the idea of breaking ankles, and then I felt like I definitely couldn't say that because he actually – Actually. Somebody got hurt on the play. So I didn't want to make that joke. But, I mean, good grief. Rashad in space. Wow. Is incredible. What he's able to do, making guys miss. Um, And it was interesting this week on my show with Coach Bowles, I asked him about the idea of Rashad knowing – we now know he's definitely good in space. Got yeah. that figured out. Got right. the the screen game going. All of that kind of thing. I was asking about the pro- the progress in terms of also knowing when and how to just put his head down of when he needs to be kind of more the power back as compared to just the in space change of pace back. And coach was saying he's like, yeah, he's he's got it figured out now. Like we we have seen progress in that mm-hmm. area of where we feel like when he needs to be that guy, he can. Yeah. And I thought that was great mm-hmm. to hear. Um, defensively. Definitely better in the run game than the last matchup, for sure. Um, But then Brandon Ayuk happened, which was crazy. Uh, 156 receiving yards. When you have Anton Winfield getting 16 tackles, first of all, props to him. Yes, but but that's not not the person you want want leading in tackles. Kind of like Vita Vea leading, you know, last year leading the team in sacks. Not not the best thing. It's great, but it's not necessarily what you want. want. Um, It was a franchise record for a DB. And tackles. Again, it's wow. better than it being a corner, for sure. Yes. But, but still not ideal on that front. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, just the receiving game, it was just kind of tough. And, and coaches said, hey, you know, in zone we've had some breakdowns here. Mm-hmm. This was – they were playing a lot of man, and it just sometimes – they made a good play or yeah. guys missed time jumps or, you know, whatever right. it is. Anytime a quarterback has a perfect passer rating, it's not great. The first first one since, I think, Joe Montana and Steve Young in 1989. Not for their franchise. Yeah, great. for their franchise, yeah. yeah. Um, and then, of course, the same way we always have to shout out Mike. we got to shout out Levante. So, mm-hmm. past Rondé for second most tackles. Yes, that he did. In franchise history. Now he's just behind Derek Brooks. Um, love that it came on a sack. So, he also has multiple tackle for losses in the game. He has five games now with multiple tackles for loss, which is the most in the NFL this season. And he's already gotten his highest sack total for a season since 2018. Wow. With three so far. Just, again, the level mm-hmm. he's playing, unbelievable. Um, and then Sam Yaya, I loved getting to see him mm-hmm. get his first multi-sack game. Yes. He has been putting up some big impact plays. It's yes. going to be interesting to see what his role ends up being down the stretch mm-hmm. here because he just really is – he's making some, some mm-hmm. big-time plays. Um, Vita, same thing, another sack. Now, again, leading the team. Five and a half so far this season, which is not a bad number at all. <laughs> um, and we talked about the young guys getting in there. Josh Hayes, Kayvon Mer- Merriweather, Savasia Dennis, all getting kind mm-hmm. of their first meaningful right. snaps, um, which, you know, you don't need to see – you don't want to see them in there because of injury situations. Right. But uh, Coach said he liked that they were all kind of flying around, playing mm-hmm. playing strong, playing fast, which is what you want to see from the young guys, which mm-hmm. now takes us into normally where we talk about our injury report. Because of when we're recording this, we don't have an official one. But what what do we just kind of know from the game yes. that we're going to be keeping an eye on this week? Yes. Yeah, so in addition to the loss, had a significant blow. Several starters exiting the game with injuries. Jamel Dean left with the foot ankle injury. Um, Levante David exited the game with a groin injury. And then Carlton Davis exited with a hip injury. And then even Tristan Wirfs with the leg injury. So those will definitely all be something to monitor. Um, Dean, David, and Davis. And granted, we're filming this on... Wednesday, so don't really have a lot of the injury reports coming out yet, but they did undergo MRIs, um, and we're kind of awaiting to see what the information of those, how severity the issues are. Um, so that'll be certainly something to monitor, but 
you know, Josh Hayes, Dee Delaney, Zion McCollum, these are guys that are certainly going to potentially have bigger roles this week if Dean or Davis aren't able to go. So, How do you see that affecting the defense overall and what Bowles likes to do against this Colts team? I mean, how are those injuries going to really be impactful? Well, I think especially when you're facing a team like the Colts that have kind of a similar – scheme to what the Eagles do with kind of the the downhill rushing attack with Jonathan Taylor, the RPO game, um, and all of those things that they like to dial up. I think similar to what they face with some of these guys like Derrick Henry or Christian McCaffrey or Debo Samuel, the game tackling, the pursuit angles, all of that is going to be key this week because the 49ers are really good at you know, the, the second-level blocking and stressing the C-gaps with Trent Williams or Kyle Juszczyk or George Kittle. Um, and so this week, you know, when you have a guy like Quentin Nelson that's kind of that mauler that's paving the way for a guy like Jonathan Taylor, kind of how they're able to assist. And also I think this week in particular, the pass rush is going to be crucial because that is what dictates the flow of the game. That helps out your cover guys where they're not having to be in coverage for quite as long. You know, force – Gardner Minshew to make some mistakes, force the quick throws, the errant throws where they're able to get their hands on balls. So I think all of those things kind of working together are going to be critical. But, I mean, this is next man up mentality. You know, I mean, it's week to week. And I think when you've seen Zion McCollum, especially in there this year, when they have sustained injuries, he's done a really incredible job and has been one of the guys that I would say has probably been the most improved on this roster. So how, you know, he's a guy that's going to have to fill those shoes and step up if his number's called. So now let's go ahead and get into some of this matchup stuff. Uh, let's start with our one-on-ones. Uh, what are the individual guys Ooh, uh, you're excited to see? This week I am going to go with Kalijah Cansey against Quentin Nelson and then Chris Godwin against Kenny Moore. And I'm – Kenny Moore is kind of a guy that was really exciting to study this week because he's one of the – best slot guys in the NFL. They use him in that role in kind of those nickel and dime packages. But I think what was kind of a really telling thing was, and I always love watching the the top 100 videos just to see the way that the peers think about a specific player says a lot about who they are as a player in the NFL. And watching Kenny Moore's, Chris Godwin was actually – one of the players that they interviewed on him. And Chris Godwin said, this is the toughest nickel corner I have ever gone up against. But just in, in the modern NFL, they have to be able to do so many things at an elite level. The man coverage, the, the zone, you have to come down in the box against the run, you have to blitz. And Kenny Moore is one of those guys that he does all of that at an elite level. Um, and kind of just the way that he's able to shoot gaps through the B or C gaps, I mean, in the way that a linebacker would on a blitz, but also just his ability and how adept he is at his ball hawking skills. Um, I mean, the game against the Panthers that kind of got the Colts on that winning trajectory after their, the kind of the stretch of their losses, he had two interceptions returned for touchdowns, two pick sixes. That's insane for a nickel corner. I mean, the guy is just... So incredible at diagnosing, keying in, reading the quarterback's eyes. So especially this week, that's going to be really crucial for Baker Mayfield to know where he's at. And then for Chris Godwin, I mean, he's as reliable as they come in the contested catch situations, you know, kind of exploiting the zones or when guys, when he's given that free release, um, just adjusting to the ball. So I think that's going to be a really, really big matchup this week. And then, of course, Kalijah Kansi is just having an amazing season. And it's it's great to see – 
him having the impact against the run game, getting the tackles for loss, you know, something that was kind of a, a question mark when he was coming out of Pittsburgh with his size. But then also just to see kind of the added dimension that he brings to the pass rush in the interior alongside Vita Vea with, I mean, the first step quickness, the contact balance um, that you're really seeing starting to pop. But then Quentin Nelson, man, he is a different breed. And he didn't have quite the production last season, you know, kind of had some injuries that I think were really a big part in hindering kind of the production in the sacks that he gave up. Um, but just his, I mean, that Mahler mentality, but also at the same time, he's a technician, which is kind of a very lethal paradox um, in the NFL that he's able to do both those. But I mean, just you watch him on tape and he just straight up like forklifts defenders out of gaps. It's, it's insane. So I think that's going to be really crucial in for this week and kind of getting some hopefully push on Gardner Minshew and what they're able to do there. Yeah, I had a very similar thing. I had said Vita instead of Kalijah, but I said Vita against, and I had said Quentin Nelson slash Jonathan Taylor. I view it as the same thing, right? It's how do you do against Quentin to be able to get to to Jonathan Taylor? You know how much they're going to want to run Quentin's side, right? Like you know that's what they're going to want to do. And I think that we've seen Vita these last couple weeks in particular doing an incredible job both in the run game and still getting to the quarterback, getting that push. Um, I think you were right to pick Kalijah as well because we've seen that there was such a question about Kalijah coming out of college. Was he going to be as good at the run game as the pass game because of his size? And I actually just had uh, defensive line coach Casey Rogers on the radio show this week. And he was like, I'll be honest, he has even surprised me. Yeah. He said, we were excited to draft him because we knew the kind of disruption he could be in the pass, pass game. Yeah. But we figured we'd have to work maybe sub a little bit people. more. Yeah. yeah. He was like, he is making a case for him to be out there all the time, that he's doing a really good job, you know, working on all that and being strong in the run game as well. Right. So I think that's really great to see that for him to be worth a first round draft pick based pretty much just on his pass rush whatever he's now going to be able to give you in the run game, icing on the cake. And yes. I think that's really great. Um, another one I'd picked was uh, Zion against Michael Pittman. I'm just sort of assuming at least one of the guys are probably not going to be available. Again, we have we don't know yet. We don't have an injury report. Just feels like the odds are decent that at least one of those guys may not be able to go. Mm-hmm. And so then in that case, we, you know, Zion's the the next guy up. Michael Pittman can do some damage to you, and how does he step in, you know, to that role when you know they're going to want to run first to open right. things up, mm-hmm. and then you know, can you eliminate some of those deep field, deep ball things to be able to force them to continue to try to run a Vita right. and eventually be very tired of doing that? Um, <laughs> other side of the ball, I decided to go with uh, Robert Hainsey against DeForest Buckner. Oh, dude, it's a it's a it's a potent potent little matchup yeah. there. That's definitely one of my positions. Yep. To watch. Okay, great. <laughs> so that's was like the whole interior. The whole, yeah, that's the thing. Yeah, Our one on ones, the positions, I agree that it was like this is every game we could make the case for being won or lost in the yeah. trenches. Yep. This yeah. game in particular definitely is going to be won or yeah. lost in the trenches. So, um, all right, well, then on that note, take yes. it away for your position. So, group. to be back off of what you just said, um, for the positions to watch, I did the defensive line and then the interior of the Bucks offensive line against DeForest Buckner. Um, really for the defensive line, just kind of the things we've talked about and going up against Derrick Henry and a lot of the the really elite backs they faced. But Jonathan Taylor, getting him, he is nearly impossible to bring down if he gets past that second level. So bottling him up at the line of scrimmage, but also just being able to get 
impact in the pocket on Gardner Minshew and kind of force some of those mistakes to help out the coverage on the back end if you don't have Davis, if you don't have Dean. Um, but Jonathan Taylor, he's very, such an incredible kind of really transcendent back because not only does he have the power between the tackles of, say, a Derrick Henry, but then he has the elusiveness in space and is so hard to bring down and kind of has both of those things that typically – a back's just kind of one or the other, and then you have that change of pace back that kind of takes takes over that he's more of the, the shifty guy in space, and then you have more of the, the power back. But he kind of is all-in-one as a running back um, that makes him extremely, extremely difficult to go up against. Uh, I mean, just his the season he had in 2021 is one of the best seasons probably in the history of the game that a running back has produced. Um, so just being mindful of that, and obviously he's kind of what dictates their offense. So if you're able to kind of limit him, then that limits what they're able to do. And then the interior of the Bucks' offensive line, and like you mentioned, DeForest Buckner is just incredible. And like we always like to do, Scott Smith always has the fantastic stats. So again, I, I stole some from him this week, but since week nine, Buckner has led all defensive players with a pass rush win rate of 27.6%. His 11 total pressures rank ninth over that two-week span. But, I mean, just a guy that routinely gets – push up the middle. It's just an annoyance for quarterbacks, has that power. So how is the interior able to hold up against that, keep Baker Mayfield upright? And even if he, you know, kind of has to to scramble out a little bit and kind of keep his eyes open downfield, how they're able to kind of connect and move along with him to keep that rolling. And then also I would like to see the ability to just get some of those the mid zone, the duo, and some of those interior things get the run game going through that interior and not make it have to be just kind of the perimeter, the getting Rashad White in space, but to see something up the middle, I think would be, would really help kickstart this game, the play action, and all those things that would kind of help just take this this offense to the next level with the bootlegs and everything for Baker Mayfield. Yeah, I agree. So I, um, I also picked our offensive line um, for a position group. Um, so here's what's interesting. I think people might have heard the news. Shaq Leonard gets uh, cut by the Colts and might yes. think like, oh, how helpful, which sure, like he's a pretty talented guy. But um, they rank in the top six in sacks, strip sacks and fumble recoveries. Hmm. Um, despite this time during October where they had a three game losing streak, they saw like Shaquille Leonard play the lowest snap percentage of his career since he's had a couple back surgeries. So he already wasn't maybe the guy he's been in the past. And even knowing that and how few snaps he was getting compared to normal, they were still high up there in all those categories. Right. So it shows even without him, they're forced to be reckoned with. Um, I had also said I thought that um, Mike and Trey were sort of, I'm kind of counting those two for us as like, I didn't want to just even go wide receivers overall, specifically Mike and Trey I wanted to talk about. Um, so it's, I, I found this article that uh, Sports Illustrated did that I thought was really interesting that kind of dove into the Colts' defense a bit. And they talked about how um, they, they've played a more typical cover three a lot longer than a lot of other teams in the league and focused mm-hmm. on that a bit. Um, and then it began to shift more into a quarter-style scheme just the last couple weeks before their bye week they're coming out of. Um, and that apparently the results have definitely changed. And so yeah. the you know opposing quarterbacks in these last couple matchups – um, have combined for a yards per attempt of just 5.57, 5. 
average depth of target for those offenses was kept below five in both games. So all of a sudden, when they made that shift, that they were having to go for much shorter stuff, that the deep ball was getting taken away a little bit more. So can you still, with guys like Mike and Trey, Mm -hmm. get at least one or two of those deep balls to try to open some stuff up down in there underneath? Yeah. Because the way they've switched this coverage has definitely shortened what a lot of teams have been doing in this time of how, how far they've been throwing it, taking these quicker things. Mm-hmm. And then, I mean, look, maybe that's a good sign for Rashad and, and what he's right. going to be able to do. But well, I think Devin Tompkins. Exactly. You know, on the end arounds, the sweeps. Yep. And but I would love to see, can you still try right. with the new – and are they going to stay with what they've done these right. last couple weeks now they've had the bye week to assess that, you know, what are they going to be looking at? Um, so, yeah, so I think that those were a couple of my position groups. And then, of course, all the defensive backups – like what we've talked about, there are so many of these guys right. that are having to step in and they're so young and they've had so few, um, you know, snaps in these meaningful games. Yeah. And we know that down this stretch, like this is it. This is when we there are not many uh, losses you can have at this point, knowing how crucial it's going to be yes. to win this division. So it is crunch time. This is when it matters. These are young guys having to step in potentially. And we don't know at the time of this podcast how many of them it's going to have to be. But the guess is it's going to be at least some of them. And so can right. they step up? Can they play fundamental? Are they not going to you know, get flustered yeah. and have penalties and things like that? So um, I think that's going to be really big too. So uh, for you, keys to the game, hit me. For me, I think red zone. Really on both sides of the ball, the offense has – struggled down in that area they were able to to cash in you know with the the touchdown to Mike Evans and Rashad White against the Niners but I would like to see more consistency down there um and then even though the defense the touchdowns they gave up against the 49ers they're still in the top of the league in that area um you know they they're the first in the league in touchdown percentage allowed in the red zone and then they're also they rank first in gold to go touchdown efficiency at 44 So if it's a close game, being able to get seven, to not have three, and to be able on the opposite side of the ball for the defense to be able to get those stops that they've gotten routinely, I think that's going to create that that sense of pride and that's going to create that confidence that this team needs going forward. So I think that for me is definitely going to be the biggest biggest thing to watch. Yep, stop the run. Yeah. First, second, and third. Stop the run, protect the ball. Yeah. Um, hopefully continue to get some success in that screen game that's worked so well for us. Right. Um, I think those are going to be some of the big ones. And, yeah, just not beating ourselves, you know, getting to the point of penalties, turnovers, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Playing a clean game is going to be really important. Um, All right, what is your quote of the week? My quote of the week was a quote from Todd Bowles that I think was just kind of really summarizes the 49ers game and kind of moving forward what the Bucs are kind of keying in on. But he said, it wasn't just the red zone offense. We could have made some plays on defense in the third quarter. We could have made some plays on special teams. We made one in the fourth quarter to get us down there. We had chances to make it close and even try to take the lead if we got in. But one time the ball got snapped early. We have to execute when we get down that far. I thought we moved the ball between the 20s. We moved the ball pretty well. We have to find a way to punch it in the end zone, and that's holding us back. It's the small things that are holding us back from winning these ball games. Yep. And I think that really is just kind of a microcosm of everything. The attention to detail, being disciplined, whether it's the the run fits or just offensively, the the penalties and all of these little things that may not be just this 
earth-shattering thing in the moment, but adding them all up, that ends up being the outcome of these games. So how they're kind of able to minimize that and really just play clean, complimentary football. Yep. Um, mine was also from Coach Bowles because, again, we're doing this early enough yes. in the week. Haven't yep. been that many people to talk yeah. yet. Um, <laughs> he was talking about the defense overall and that, you know, is it one person? Is it more than one person? What do we need to do? All that kind of stuff. And he said, um, yeah, that the defense has to be more productive. It's not just one guy. Everyone has to produce more. When you lose a starter, everybody has to make more plays. We don't sit and compare. Someone could come in two plays and have two sacks. That doesn't mean we're going to play them 50 plays. They have productive things when they do them, but there's a reason why they're not playing. We're happy with everybody, the way they're playing. We have to get more production out of everybody, and we know that. So he was talking about the idea of some of these guys that have come in and they've done really well versus everybody else, like your starters, your backups, your young guys, your whoever. He was like, look, it does, everybody across the board, we need a little bit more from everybody. There's a reason that certain guys are in certain roles, and it's been great when you do have some of these backups come in here, and it's going to be interesting to see down the road do they start – some guys start getting more snaps. Some guys start getting less snaps. Mm-hmm. Just as you go along, who's the hot hand, ride it. But that he was saying everybody across the board, they expect a little bit more production from. Mm-hmm. And but he, and he was saying that meaning even if these young guys are coming in, we're expecting it from them too. Right. That no matter who's in that game, they expect the same level from them no matter what they are. Um, all right, and we always close with our human interest fact of the week, our off-the-field story. Uh, it's Thanksgiving week, so I had yes. to go with shouting out turkey time with the O-line supported oh, by Publix. This was just, it's one of the best events of the year, and I just wanted to give everybody a little bit more, uh, some fun facts about it, some some background, some history, uh, some things to know about it. So first of all, this year, 17th annual. That's amazing. Yeah. It shows that no matter how many times you get new offensive linemen coming through this building, it just gets passed yeah, down. It's always that tradition. Generation to generation, which I love. Um, so this year, they distributed over 1,000 full Thanksgiving meals, and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers Foundation Social Justice Fund will also uh, present a check matching the players and coaches' distribution of $43,500 to the nonprofit organization Feeding Tampa Bay. Um, I just thought that was so incredible that it's, again, so much of the players and coaches are funding this, driving this, but also the Social Justice Fund right. coming in with a matching grant, which is great. Uh, the tradition was launched in 2007. And following this year's distribution, the annual effort will have provided more than 13,500 underserved families with Thanksgiving meals. Wow. That's incredible. So shout out to the offensive line every year, no matter how tired they are at this point in the season, no matter how much they probably don't want to have to go stand outside for a few hours on some concrete that's a little rough on the joints. (laughs) Yeah. They show up, they're there, (laughs) they got a smile on their face. I saw also Baker Mayfield join in this year. Yes. Love when guys, I know Rashad came last year, I don't know if he came this year, but... um, He's just, I think they just need to add him to an honorary member. impact meetings, yes, just the honorary member that said everything. For everything. So yeah, so (laughs) shout out to that. Um, All right, that is going to do it for us in this edition of Tampa 2. Thank you so much for being with us, and we hope you have a wonderful Thanksgiving with family and friends, and we'll see you next week.